Dedicated missionary service returns a dividend of eternal joy, which extends throughout mortality and into eternity. I want it absolutely clear that I declared to the world in the most straightforward language I could summon that the Book of Mormon is true. True disciples of Jesus Christ are willing to stand out, speak up, and be different. If you're not a full-time missionary with a missionary badge pinned on your coat, now is the time to paint one on your heart. God has something unimaginable in mind for you personally and the church collectively. A marvelous work and a wonder. In this church, what we know will always trump what we do not know. Missionary work is an identifying feature of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Always has it been, ever shall it be. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. What's cracking, everybody? Welcome back to the Mission Prep Podcast. I've got some not-so-exciting news, but I figure it's worthy of filling you guys in on anyway. Actually, for me, it's kind of a big deal, and I'll tell you why. So the news is that the pod is now on Instagram. I know. Revolutionary, right? Hear me out. This is a big deal for me because for any of you who know me at all, you know that I stay away from social media like it's the Black Plague. It's just something that I have always avoided. I've got my reasons, but to keep it short, it's just way too easy to waste an insane amount of time on, and I won't hide the fact that that's been hard for me to control in the past. So, like a recovering alcoholic that decides he can't go anywhere near a bar, I've just decided to stay as far away from social media as possible. But unlike a bar, social media is actually a really great tool, and there's a lot of good that can be accomplished through it. Kind of like how fire can be both destructive and useful if harnessed correctly, I've decided that now is a good time to harness the useful potential of social media, so to say. So there you go. That's the news. The podcast is now on the gram. So if you like what you hear on here and want to get involved in the conversation, head over to the Instagram page and there you can ask your questions, share your mission call if you have one, or give any advice to anyone else out there listening. The page is just called Mission Prep Podcast. It's got the same logo and everything, so hopefully it's not too difficult to find. And you can still get in touch with me through the email too, if you'd prefer. I just figured that the Instagram page would be easier and more approachable for you guys. Okay, now that that's out of the way, let's get into the nitty gritty, shall we? Naturally, I think we all might have some hesitations or fears when it comes to sharing the gospel. We worry what others will think about us. We worry about how the message will come across. We worry that they won't accept it. We worry that we're being too pushy. We make judgments based on the way someone looks that they won't want it. We are afraid that we will lose family and friends. We are afraid that we won't say the right thing or that we will offend someone. The list goes on. I know that when I was a missionary, sharing the gospel naturally came with some awkward and even some nerve-wracking moments. It's hard to go up and talk to someone that you don't even know, let alone try to share the gospel with them. And as a missionary, I had to make sure that I wasn't being timid or shy about teaching truth. There's a piece of advice that Alma gives to his son Shiblon. Shiblon? Shiblon. I'm going to settle for that. Alma gives a piece of advice to his son Shiblon about this very thing. He says about teaching the gospel to use boldness. As a missionary, you have to be bold. As the Apostle Paul once declared, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So too must we share our convictions without wavering. 
People will be unconvinced of your testimony if you are timid about it. And you have every reason to be bold as a missionary because you have the truth that the world needs. You have the key to eternal and lasting happiness. You represent Jesus Christ, and you have been commissioned by him to bring others into his loving arms. You have authority to preach the gospel, and you are promised God's power as you do so. I remember early in my mission being afraid to promise people that God would give them an answer about the Book of Mormon if they prayed about it. I was afraid that they wouldn't get an answer, or that if they did, they wouldn't recognize it. Over time though, I came to know that the promise is sure to anyone who puts in the work and asks with a sincere heart. There was a girl that we were teaching when I was about 6 months in that we had been teaching on and off for a while. It wasn't until I was able to promise her with all the fervor of my heart that if she read and prayed about the Book of Mormon that she would get an answer, that she did get an answer. I was able to promise her that her answer would be unmistakable. And sure enough, a couple weeks later she came running out of her house with tears in her eyes yelling, Elders! Elders! I got my answer! She was baptized not long after. If I had not been bold enough to give her that promise, she wouldn't have been able to have the confidence that if she acted in faith, she would get that witness. That kind of boldness will be rooted in your own convictions. There is another side to this coin though. Continuing on with Alma's counsel to his son Shiblon, he says, Use boldness, but not overbearance. So what could this mean? It seems that Alma is trying to tell us here that there has to be a balance between two things, a happy medium. If the happy medium is boldness, then on one side you would have shyness, and on the other side you would have overbearance. Let's look at an example of how one could be using overbearance. Let's use the doctrine that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is Christ's true church as a starting point. If you were being bold, you would be able to proclaim from your heart that this is the true church, without shying away from it. Being overbearing, on the other hand, might sound something like, Jesus said that this is his only true church, so that means your church is wrong and has no truth. To illustrate this further, there is an article that I'm going to share with you guys that goes into much more detail on this. It was written by Eric John K. Marlowe for the Religious Studies Center at BYU. He was an assistant professor at the time he wrote this, and in it, he shares with us the results of a study that he conducted with Utah residents from different faiths. His preface reads as follows. When I asked a pastor how members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints might be better neighbors, he suggested, Becoming friendly really helps. Then, grimacing slightly and shaking his head, he continued, But you know, I have to be truthful with you. Regardless of how much they may work on the friendly area, they have those teachings that are just so exclusive. They are so offensive. President Boyd K. Packer said, One doctrine presents a particular challenge. It is our firm conviction that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is, as the Revelation states, the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. Marlowe then goes on to say that Heavenly Father loves all of his children, and in his wisdom has always provided them truth as he sees fit. Simple observation readily confirms a good deal of truth in other churches. Yet the Lord has declared the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to be the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. The Church of Jesus Christ is not true because its members try harder than those of other faiths to please God. Rather, the Church is true because Christ himself established, authorized, and acknowledges the continuing work therein as valid and eternal. The Church is true because it possesses the necessary authority, ordinances, and true doctrine, all of which are bestowed by God. President Spencer W. Kimball explained, This Church of Jesus Christ, nicknamed Mormon, is the only true and living Church that is fully recognized by God the only one properly organized with the authority to perform for him 
and the only one with a total and comprehensive and true program which will carry men to powers unbelievable and to realms incredible. This is absolute truth. This is not another church. This is the church. This is not another gospel or philosophy. This is the church and gospel of Jesus Christ. President Packer further explains, The position that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only true church upon the face of the earth is fundamental. Perhaps it would be more convenient and palatable and popular if we were to avoid it. Nevertheless, we are under a sacred obligation and a sacred trust to hold to it. It is not merely an admission, it is a positive declaration. It is so fundamental that we cannot yield on this point. There is but one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Continuing, Marlowe says that it is through personal revelation and meaningful experiences that Latter-day Saints come to know in a profound and personal way that this is Christ's only true church. And, similar to Lehi, after partaking of the fruit, or to Enos after his conversion, we want to share the benefits of its membership with others. Therefore, it grieves us to learn that our doctrine of only one true church can be offensive and confusing to others. He then suggests that, quote, by understanding how those of other faiths may perceive our doctrine, and by reviewing principles that can reduce offense and confusion, we will be better equipped to boldly proclaim without overbearance our commitment to the doctrine of the one true church. Gordon B. Hinckley has said, Let us never act in a spirit of arrogance or with a holier-than-thou attitude. Rather, may we show love and respect and helpfulness toward them, not of our faith. We are greatly misunderstood, and I fear that much of it is of our own making. We can be more tolerant, more neighborly, more friendly, more of an example that we have been in the past. Marlowe then goes on to share different reports from the participants in his study. He says, quote, Several participants felt the doctrine of one true church was demeaning to their beliefs and was a cause of Latter-day Saint arrogance, superiority, and exclusivity, and a cause of confusion. A common sentiment among study participants is that our declaration of one true church is demeaning to their religion. One parent explained, If a fundamental tenet of the LDS faith is that this is the only true church, then inherent in that is that everybody else who's not part of that is on the wrong track. And that just inherently sends the message that your church is not good. Participants also connected our doctrine to a sense of Latter-day Saint arrogance and superiority. An Episcopal leader explained, quote, If I have a complaint about the LDS religion, it is that sense that there is only one true church. I understand how tenant that is to the LES church, but on the other hand, it unfortunately almost always bears out in a certain sense of arrogance and superiority. It almost can't help it, end quote. Study participants indicated three general ways this demeaning attitude or arrogance can occur. Negative assumptions, demeaning religious discussion, and disassociations. A number of study participants link our doctrine of one true church to the behavior and attitudes of some Latter-day Saints who occasionally make negative assumptions and ignorantly adopt stereotypes about the character and moral standards of their non-LDS neighbors. A young woman described a periodic Latter-day Saint reaction to finding out that she is not Mormon this way. Quote, You get the nasty glares of, oh, you must do drugs and all this bad stuff because you're not LDS, end quote. In a more subtle description of the occasional Latter-day Saint assumption of lower morals in others, a minister said, quote, I've heard the comment, well, you're nice enough that you could be LDS, which assumes that most people aren't very nice or not as nice as the Mormons are. So it's meant to be a compliment, but it hurts, end quote. A pastor describes the arrogance he sees built into the Latter-day Saint doctrine of the only true church this way, quote, they can't help but look at us and see an apostate, end quote. 
Discussion of religious beliefs is another situation in which participants occasionally connect our doctrine of one true church to sentiments of Latter-day Saint arrogance and superiority. For example, after describing a scriptural discussion his children had with Latter-day Saint kids on a school band trip, a father stated, quote, There was always this air of superiority by the ones who were part of the church, and the result has always been a sense of being intimidated or put down, end quote. A youth somewhat annoyed with what he described as one-sided discussion said, quote, Most Latter-day Saint people in my school, they really don't want to hear about my religion. They just want to tell me about theirs, end quote. Another youth echoed the responses of several participants when he said, You can believe what you believe in, just don't try to put anyone down for believing what they believe in. Some participants detect arrogance in our doctrine of one true church as it relates to the attitudes of some Latter-day Saints who disassociate themselves from peers of other faiths. Upon finding out she is not a member of the church, one young woman described the reaction of some Latter-day Saint peers as shock or they just avoid you after that. A leader of another faith said, Some of the Latter-day Saint kids always feel that they should not lower themselves to play with Methodists, and that is a great sadness. Our kids don't stop to think about belief patterns. All they know is that suddenly I am not good enough to play with Susie down the street. In addition to expressing perceptions that Latter-day Saints can be demeaning and arrogant, a few study participants indicated that our doctrine of one true church suggests exclusivity and elitism in God's dealings with his children. As evidence, some participants pointed directly to our scriptural account of the first vision, specifically to Joseph Smith history verse 19. A leader who paraphrased from this account said, A leader who paraphrased from this account said, You're the only true church. And all these other churches can't get along and their beliefs are an abomination. To which he added, that's really part of the exclusive Latter-day Saint mindset that you sometimes see. And not on purpose necessarily, but it happens. The extreme of this assumption is that Latter-day Saints are the only ones who can please God or have real access to his love and concern. Marlowe then shares a personal experience to further illustrate this. He says, while attending a conference, a woman upon learning I was a Latter-day Saint, asked if I really believed that my religion was the only true church. Sensing her aversion, I explained my affirmative response with some care. She replied to the effect, Do you really mean to tell me that God loves you more than he does me? She misinterpreted our doctrine of one true church as an exclusion of all others from God's love and approval. To her, our doctrine conveyed a God of prejudice. Marl then continues on with his study participants. He says, Finally, a few study participants expressed feeling confusion in connection with our doctrine of one true church. A Baptist leader posed the question, Do you Latter-day Saints emphasize the unity, or do you realize the exclusivity? The leader further explained it this way, I have a presentation called Choose a Hand. It's basically that the LDS church and community present two hands and says, Choose one. Choose the right hand and they say, Well, we're Christians. You're Christians. We're all Christians. We believe in Jesus, we believe in God, we believe in family, and we believe in good values, so won't you accept us? And you say, okay, well what's on the other hand? And they, Latter-day Saints, say, we're the only true church, all the churches are wrong. And the issue is, which hand do we deal with? That is confusing to us. In summary, Marlowe says, three general misunderstandings regarding our doctrine of one true church seem to emerge in the comments participants made. First, this doctrine may on occasion incorrectly suggest to Latter-day Saints and may convey to those of other faiths the idea that other churches have little or nothing of worth to offer. Second, some members of other faiths, as well as some Latter-day Saints, may mistakenly view this doctrine as ascribing exclusiveness to God's love and concern for his children. 
This may lead some Latter-day Saints to assume that they are more righteous than others based solely on their membership in Christ's true church, while on the flip side, it may engender a perception of Latter-day Saint arrogance or even prejudice toward those of other faiths. Third, membership in Christ's true church does not excuse or exclude Latter-day Saints from charitable feelings toward and meaningful associations with those of other faiths, nor does it exclude Latter-day Saints from joining with our brothers and sisters of other faiths in effort to promote shared values. It is wrong to limit association with those of other faiths based on this doctrine. Marlow then proceeds to give us a list of principles that we can adopt personally to prevent these misunderstandings that we've just gone over. First, he says that we need to understand that God's plan is universal. Often misunderstandings that surround our doctrine of one true church have their roots in an inaccurate view of God's dealings with all of his children. We believe all people are children of Heavenly Father and have the potential to become like him. The Lord makes no exceptions when he says his work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Each child of God on the earth is involved in God's plan. Beyond obtaining a physical body, all are to some degree tested or proven in this probationary state. The Lord esteems all flesh as one, and every man should esteem his neighbor as himself. We undoubtedly believe that all people are of great worth. As BYU professors Robert L. Millett and Lloyd D. Newell explain, we need only become acquainted with individuals of other religious persuasions to recognize their goodness and truths that they possess. It would be a blatant arrogance to suppose that the Latter-day Saints are the only people on earth with whom our Heavenly Father is concerned, or to whom he seeks to make known his mind and will. God loves all of his children on earth, and seeks to teach all that people are prepared to receive. The light of Christ clearly illustrates God's universal effort with the whole human family. President Packer explains, Every man, woman, and child of every nation, creed, or color, everyone, no matter where they live, or what they believe, or what they do, has within them the imperishable light of Christ. In this respect, all men are created equally. The light of Christ in everyone is a testimony that God is no respecter of persons. He treats everyone equally in that endowment with the light of Christ. He continues, The light of Christ is as universal as sunlight itself. Wherever there is human life, there is the Spirit of Christ. Every living soul is possessed of it. It is a sponsor of everything that is good. It is the inspirer of everything that will bless and benefit mankind. It nourishes goodness itself. President Packer then adds, It should not be difficult, therefore, to understand how revelation from God to his children on earth can come to all mankind through both the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Ghost. Furthermore, presently and throughout history, God has blessed many nations through those not of the church who are given a portion of truth that he seeth fit that they should have. In 1978, the First Presidency stated, the great religious leaders of the world, such as Muhammad, Confucius, and the Reformers, as well as the philosophers, including Socrates, Plato, and others, receive a portion of God's light. Moral truths were given to them by God to enlighten whole nations and to bring a higher level of understanding to individuals. The Hebrew prophets prepared the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, who should provide salvation for all mankind who believe in the gospel. Consistent with these truths, we believe that God has given and will give to all peoples sufficient knowledge to help them on their way to eternal salvation, either in this life or in the life to come. We also declare that the gospel of Jesus Christ, restored to his church in our day, provides the only way to a mortal life of happiness and a fullness of joy forever. Our message, therefore, is one of special love and concern for the eternal welfare of all men and women, regardless of religious belief, race, or nationality. 
knowing that we are truly brothers and sisters because we are sons and daughters of the same eternal father. Marlowe then states, Teachings of other religious leaders past and present help many people become more righteous, civil, and ethical. God also uses good people outside of the church to further his work. President Ezra Taft Benson said, God, the father of us all, uses the men of the earth, especially good men, to accomplish his purposes. It has been true in the past, it is true today, it will be true in the future. President Benson then quoted Elder Orson F. Whitney, who said, Perhaps the Lord needs such men on the outside of his church to help it along. They are among its auxiliaries and can do more good for the cause where the Lord has placed them than anywhere else. Hence, some are drawn into the fold and receive a testimony of truth, while others remain unconverted, the beauties and glories of a gospel being veiled temporarily from their view for a wise purpose. The Lord will open their eyes in his own due time. God is using more than one people for the accomplishment of his great and marvelous work. The Latter-day Saints cannot do it all. It is too vast, too arduous for any one people. We have no quarrel with the Gentiles. They are our partners in a certain sense. Marlowe then says, God's plan and infinite love clearly extends the globe and the generations. While the Lord has and does choose from among his children specific persons and groups with whom he establishes a covenant relationship, such choosing does not suggest abandonment of his love for and work with others. On the contrary, God often chooses and sets apart particular persons or groups of people with the intent of blessing more of his children, for example, missionary work, priesthood authority, temple work. No doubt many Latter-day Saints desire, like Alma, to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ unto every soul. Yet in our current inability to do so, truth revealed through the light of Christ as well as dispersed through sincere and inspired persons of many faiths and cultures gives us reasons to rejoice that all God's children to some degree are able, if they choose, to live after the manner of happiness. Secondly, Marlowe says to acknowledge truth and goodness in other faiths. He continues to tell us that while an accurate view of God's universal dealings with his children is key to reducing misunderstandings surrounding the one true church doctrine, Acknowledging that others possess and adhere to valuable truth can help as well. We can acknowledge the good in other religions without demeaning our own. Ideally, our genuine acknowledgement that others possess and live by truth should be natural, since charity rejoiceth in truth. Furthermore, acknowledging that others possess truth can establish common ground upon which to create an atmosphere of respect, which will limit contention. Two practical ways we can acknowledge that others possess truth and lead good lives are 1. By sharing the gospel, we add upon truth others already possess, and two, we can join others in the common good. We do not want people to abandon any truth they now possess. The prophet Joseph Smith stated, We don't ask any people to throw away any good they have got. We only ask them to come and get more. What if all the world should embrace this gospel? They would then see eye to eye, and the blessings of God would be poured out upon the people, which is the desire of my whole soul. As Elder Brigham H. Roberts explained, the purpose of God in the introduction of the dispensation of the fullness of times was not to destroy any truth that existed in the world, but to add to that truth, to increase it, and to draw together all truth and develop it into a beautiful system in which men may rest contented, knowing God and their relationship to him, knowing of the future and their relation unto it. When referring to truth, blanket statements of we are right and you are wrong seldom portray reality. Though some possess less than a fullness of the truth, that does not mean the truth they possess is wrong. Yet, it is clearly our desire to share the entire gospel of Jesus Christ in an effort to make the full power of salvation available to each individual. Therefore, as Ammon did with King Lamoni, 
it is often helpful to acknowledge and build upon common truth. As President Hinckley has said on multiple occasions, we appreciate the truth in all churches and the good which they do. We say to the people, in effect, you bring with you all the good that you have, and then let us see if we can add to it. That is the spirit of this work. President Hinckley also stated, We can and do work with those of other religions in various undertakings, in the everlasting fight against social evils which threaten the treasured values which are so important to all of us. These people are not of our faith, but they are our friends, neighbors, and co-workers in a variety of causes. We are pleased to lend our strength to their efforts. Elder M. Russell Ballard said, Perhaps there has never been a more important time for neighbors all around the world to stand together for the common good of one another. Joining our brothers and sisters of other faiths and good causes acknowledges our commitment to common truths. Yet, President Hinckley has cautioned that in such joint efforts, there is no doctrinal compromise. There need not be and must not be on our part, but there is a degree of fellowship as we labor together. Joining in common causes must not preclude firmness in our faith. Still, as Elder Roberts broadly explained, all that makes for truth, for righteousness, is of God. It constitutes the kingdom of righteousness. And we seek to enlarge this kingdom of righteousness, both by recognizing such truths as it possesses and seeking the friendship and cooperation of the righteous men and women who constitute its membership. Third, Marlowe suggests to avoid undue judgment, explaining that, quote, as members of Christ's true church, our responsibility is to share, not to judge or demean. Because knowledge of truth does not always result in its application, we should refrain from assertions of righteousness based on the amount of truth an individual or group possesses. It has always been possible that those who possess less truth may live more righteously than those who possess more. President Packer has noted, We know there are decent, respectable, humble people in many churches, Christian and otherwise. In turn, sadly enough, there are also so-called Latter-day Saints who by comparison are not as worthy, for they do not keep their covenants. But it is not a matter of comparing individuals. Marlowe continues, As previously stated, the Church of Jesus Christ is not true because its members try harder than other people to please God. The Church is true because Christ himself established, authorized, and recognized the work therein as true and eternal. Furthermore, it would be unjust to judge or demean someone harshly for not readily accepting our declaration that this is Christ's true Church. The Prophet Joseph Smith said, I don't blame you for not believing my history. If I had not experienced what I have, I could not have believed it myself. Elder Ballard explained, While it is true we declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been restored, and we urge our members to share their faith and testimonies with others, it has never been the policy of the church that those who choose not to listen or accept our message should be shunned or ignored. Indeed, the opposite is true. Elder Ballard further explained, Surely good neighbors should put forth every effort to understand each other, and to be kind to one another regardless of religion, nationality, race, or culture. Continuing, Marlowe says, Rather than insisting that others readily accept that ours is the only true church, we should seek understanding, continue kind and joyful associations, and out of a genuine love maintain hope that someday they will desire to plant and nourish the seed. Next, he says to avoid contention. Quoting Elder Neil A. Maxwell, he says, It is important in our relationships with our fellow men that we approach them as neighbors and as brothers and sisters, rather than coming at them flinging theological thunderbolts. President Hinckley likewise explained, We want to be good neighbors. We want to be good friends. 
we feel we can differ theologically with people without being disagreeable in any sense. We hope they feel the same way toward us. We may have many friends and many associations with people who are not of our faith, with whom we deal constantly, and we have a wonderful relationship. It disturbs me when I hear about antagonisms. I don't think they are necessary. I hope that we can overcome them. He further explains that, Certainly, we are to avoid the spirit of contention. The Lord commanded Oliver Cowdery to contend against no church, save it be the church of the devil. Elder Roberts described the church of the devil as the kingdom of evil, a federation of unrighteousness, and the servants of God have a right to contend against it. However, Elder Roberts cautioned, But let it be understood, we are not brought necessarily into antagonism with the various sects of Christianity as such. So far as they have retained fragments of Christian truth, and each of them has some measure of truth, that far they are acceptable unto the Lord, and it would be poor policy for us to contend against them without discrimination. Wherever we find truth, whether it exists in complete form or only in fragments, we recognize that truth as part of that sacred whole of which the Church of Jesus Christ is the custodian. Continuing, Marlowe says, Rather than attack other religions, we are to teach the principles of a gospel of Jesus Christ in a positive and constructive way. We have no war with any of the numerous denominations on the face of the earth. We are sending out our missionaries. We are using the columns of the press. Not to attack Catholicism or Protestantism or any form of religion, but to preach in a positive and constructive way the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ as that gospel has been restored to the earth in this dispensation. Finally, Marlow admonishes us to simply live by the golden rule. He says that, Few forces work more powerfully on people's lives than religion. Furthermore, religion frequently plays a prevailing role in the definition of one's personal identity. When we proclaim that ours is the only true church, it is important to remember the Lord's injunction, Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Let us not be cavalier regarding another's religion and devotion to his or her faith. After referring to a letter in which a man who is not a member of the church described how his daughter has been ostracized by her Latter-day Saint schoolmates, President Hinckley said, Let us rise above all such conduct and teach our children to do likewise. Let us be true disciples of the Christ, observing the golden rule, doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. Let us strengthen our own faith, and that of our children, while being gracious to those who are not of our faith. Love and respect will overcome every element of aminosity. Our kindness may be the most persuasive argument for that which we believe. Marlowe continues, We need to treat others with the dignity and respect we desire. The golden rule should produce empathy and allow us to be more understanding in our associations and in sharing the gospel. We do not need to embrace everything that other churches teach. We can disagree respectfully. As we avoid a spirit of disrespect, and as we treat others with dignity, they will be more likely to respond in a positive manner. He then concludes by saying, Certainly, we cannot avoid all the offenses those of other faiths may associate with this doctrine, nor does it appear that God expects us to do so. As previously indicated, however, President Hinckley and other church leaders have expressed room for improvement. It is possible to be bold and not overbearing. Regarding our doctrine of one true church, a Baptist pastor shared contrasting experiences he had with Latter-day Saint acquaintances. On one occasion, after the pastor explained why such a doctrine was offensive to him, a Latter-day Saint man replied, I still believe it, but I know that it is offensive. The pastor commented, That's integrity to me.
Then referring to another occasion, when he similarly explained his offense to this doctrine, the pastor said, I've had two Latter-day Saint guys say, truth hurts, tough. The pastor felt that this response was arrogant. In both instances, the Latter-day Saints held to the doctrine of one true church. Yet to the pastor, one attitude was acceptable, even revered as integral, and the other attitude was arrogant. We cannot let our fear of offending others hinder our efforts to present the restored gospel of Jesus Christ in its full light. Yield on this doctrine, President Packer has said, and you cannot justify the restoration. He added, We did not invent the doctrine of the only true church. It came from the Lord. Whatever perception others have of us, however presumptuous we may appear to be, whatever circumstances directed to us, we must teach it to all who will listen. We need not apologize for and certainly need not hide the priesthood authority, ordinances, and fullness of truth afforded us. We must boldly proclaim to the world that Christ's true church is again upon the face of the earth, but we must do so in a manner that avoids undue challenges to his acceptance. Our boldness comes from a personal conviction that this is Christ's true church and from a genuine love for all mankind. It is for these same reasons that we want to avoid overbearance. Like so many principles of the gospel, the doctrine of one true church is best conveyed in a spirit of charity, the pure love of Christ. This pure love naturally motivates us to boldly share with others the great plan of happiness, and it is the same love that leads us to do so in a manner that suffereth long, and is kind, and is not puffed up, is not easily provoked, rejoiceth in the truth, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. As we share the gospel, we should declare that this is the only true and living church in a spirit of charity, reverence, and humility. In a proper spirit, this doctrine need not be divisive. In a proper spirit, we can be bold in our assertion that this is the only true church without being overbearing. In our effort to be bold but not overbearing, it is important to remember that this doctrine clearly sets the church apart. President Hinckley said, As members of the church, we have become as a city set upon a hill which cannot be hid. Whether we like it or not, each of us is set apart from the world. We are partakers of the truth, and with that comes a responsibility. Our responsibilities are personal because testimony is a personal thing. In this dispensation, when the Lord declared this to be the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth, we were immediately put in a position from which we cannot shrink and which we must face with humility and courage. Continuing, Marlowe says, Furthermore, the Lord's declaration that this is the only true church signals to the rest of the world that this church has something more to offer. A sister missionary explained, When I share with people that I know that this is the only true church, I am letting them know that religion is not just a matter of preference, it's a matter of truth. President Packer also testified, The position that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only church upon the face of the earth is fundamental. The declaration itself can invite investigation. In sharing this doctrine, we boldly affirm our testimony that herein rests the authority, the fullness of truth, and the most correct path to happiness. It is a bold assertion, the church is either true or it is not. There is no in-between. Finally, declaration that this is the only true church should be accompanied by an invitation to come and see. There is a quiet confidence and comfort knowing that in our efforts to share the doctrine of one true church, the Lord will confirm its truth to all those who in humility and sincerity seek to know. President Packer said that each soul has the right, indeed the obligation, to make an appeal through prayer for the answer to this question, is there a true church? That is how it all began, you know, with a 14-year-old boy who went into a grove. And there you have it, guys. Thank you for letting me share that with you. 
I know it was pretty lengthy, but he said it way better than I could have. As I was making this episode, I kept using more and more from his article because it was so good, and eventually I just decided that I would basically just read the whole thing to you verbatim. If you ever want to look up the article, it's titled The Only True Church, Boldness Without Overbearance, and it's by Eric John K. Marlowe. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes below. Thank you guys for joining me on this episode of the Mission Prep Podcast. I hope that now you will better understand how you as a missionary can boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel without being overbearing, as Alma puts it. I invite you to stick around because I've got some more great stuff coming up. And don't forget to look up the podcast on Instagram. There you can message me directly with any questions, things you want me to share on here, or topics that you'd like me to cover. Until then, I'll catch you all in the next episode. Peace.